Hi, and welcome to AGM Watch, brought to you by the Australian Shareholders Association. Coming up on the 11th of December 2020 is the Westpac AGM, ASX code WBC. Our company monitor is Carol Limmer. Hello, Carol. Hi, Phil. So it's been a dramatic 12 months since the last AGM. Can you give us a, a brief overview? <laughs> yes, Phil. Indeed, a year to forget as far as Westpac's concerned, but hopefully, even though we're in challenging times, things will improve for them. So as you say, it's been most dramatic in the last 12 months and really the most dramatic since the business fell on its knees in the early 1990s under what was an enormous um, unrecoverable debt. Interestingly, Westpac appeared to have ridden through the Hain Royal Commission without much trouble compared with other major banks. But then last October, October 2019, Austrac announced its allegations in respect of non-reporting of many millions of foreign transactions and even worse, that Westpac may have facilitated offshore payments to people uh, involved in child abuse. Events rapidly spiralled out of their control and by the end of December 2019, AGM, a very memorable one, the CEO, Brian Hartzer, had resigned and left. The chairman had announced his retirement early in 2020, once there was a replacement for him. And in between these events, Westpac announced the capital raising, but without declaring the full extent of the matters leading to the Austrac allegations. So at the AGM, shareholders did vent their fury and the AGM went for um, over six hours. And the uh, remuneration report for the second year in a row was um, voted against. Several directors retired or chose not to stand for re-election. And Peter King, who'd been Westpac Chief Financial Officer, was appointed to lead the bank as interim CEO at that stage. So you've had discussions uh, with management as well. How did that go? Yes, um, we've had a couple of discussions with the board chair and uh, uh, member of the management team, that uh, the new chair, John McFarlane, he was formerly a CEO of ANZ going back in time and more recently he chaired several UK banks managing their way out of GFC-related financial problems and he was approached to take up chair role at Westpac. So he was appointed in February 20 and became the chair in April on the retirement of the previous chair. And uh, I must say, he did act swiftly to address the many problems facing Westpac. And then uh, after some months as interim CEO, Peter King, with uh, obvious strong uh, board support, was confirmed as the CEO in April. Almost all of Westpac senior executives either resigned or retire as did several directors. So there was a, a lot of replacement of those directors and senior executives going on. So, Carol, what was it about the corporate culture and governance that led to this? And I believe that some of the changes that were implemented originally didn't actually help. They just kind of overcomplicated the situation. Sure. Um, well, I guess the obvious question in relation to Westpac's failings is, 
how and why did it go so wrong? And we think the short answer can probably be found in its own culture, governance and accountability self-assessment. That was first completed in 2018 and then it was updated more recently in July 2020 at APRA's direction. Westpac's report found that its risk culture was reactive and immature and that the three lines of defence was not well understood. And it was clear that they had become too complex and also where issues were uncovered, being too slow to act. Further reading of the report, it seems that Westpac had developed a matrix management style where decisions were made within groups of people without clear understanding of who was to take actual ownership of the issue. In those situations, groupthink and consensus can prevail rather than, more importantly, accountability and responsibilities. And these filings were either not detected by the board, perhaps no deep questioning, or it went along with that consensus style of leadership. It could be said by shareholders and perhaps customers that loyalty to staff was put ahead of them. So hard decisions were avoided, poor behaviour seemed to have been tolerated and mismanagement seemed to have been overlooked. And there seemed to be a, a lot of complacency prevailing particularly given that it had escaped the worst of the Hain Royal Commission. So leading out of that, what is fix, simplify and perform? Well, under that tagline of fix, simplify, perform, the bank has appointed five new group executives, launched a new specialist business division uh, to bring non-core activities together, launched a new lines of business operating model to clarify responsibility and accountability for end-to-end performance and commence the core program, bringing together initiatives to improve non-financial risk management. The core program involves 14 streams of work under three main categories of direction and tone set by the board and group executives, clear boundaries for decision-making and accountable and empowered people. And interestingly, uh, their annual report this year has three words on the cover, just three words, and they are fix, simplify, perform. So they're getting the message out. So Westpac also had a problem with legacy technology. How has Westpac addressed its much-needed technology updates and upgrades? Yes, well, they've been strongly criticised for past inadequate investments in IT platforms and systems, noting that many legacy systems are actually still in place from acquisitions such as St George Bank quite some years ago. Um, Delays in assessing home loan applications and other routine matters have also been reported. The bank has upgraded much of its technology infrastructure and has developed a detailed technology roadmap for the next phase of its transformation to build a single multi-brand operating environment. This roadmap extends over multiple years and significant work is required and obviously a significant investment in terms of cost. Westpac has appointed a new Chief Information Officer to drive, drive the program and to create a much stronger 
digital offering to their customers. So what are your thoughts on the appointment of Peter King as CEO? Yes, well, that is an interesting one and indeed one that some of our members have asked. And, of course, it's an obvious question as to why an insider was appointed to the role rather than a new recruit from outside. It was also known that Peter actually intended to retire in 2021, even though he's still a relatively young 50-year-old. We we raised this point with the uh, board chair in our pre-AGM meeting. Peter's got a long background in Westpac. He's an accountant by profession, joined Westpac in 1994. He's held a range of senior financial roles leading to his appointment as Chief Financial Officer in 2014, and that was the position he held last year. The Chairman's view is that Peter was not associated with the Austrap failings. He has got substantial knowledge of Westpac and of banking generally, and he's really seen as a steady hand in what are quite stormy and challenging times for Westpac. We also understand that he didn't necessarily agree with many of the decisions being made under the CEO, which could even have been a reason for him contemplating early retirement. The new board chair is largely uh, driving the changes to Westpac, and he certainly believes that Peter has the skills and determination to make a success in the role of CEO. And, of course, the relationship between both the chair and CEO is an important one. And whilst I said some members might question it, after our discussions and thinking it through, um, we're supportive of that decision. Okay, Carol, let's move on to the voting intentions. The first is the grant of securities to the CEO, Peter King, and the association is voting for. Yes, we are, Phil. It proposed to grant him two lots of performance share rights under their long-term variable uh, reward plan. One is valued at 200000 for the 2020 year and the other for $3.2 million for the 2021 year. The first award is essentially a make-up for his appointment as acting CEO in December last year, and that's an amount that he's getting over what would apply to him as a CFO. And the other award is for the full term as uh, CEO in 2021. They use um, face value in uh, awarding um, uh, performance rights, and that's what the ASA prefers. Each uh, lot that he's been allocated is subject to testing of a relative TSR, total shareholder performance, against a group of Australian financial institutions. And whilst the details are a bit complex, they're explained fully in the notice of meeting. And uh, forfeiture and clawback provisions also apply. So they've got a good emphasis in, into the long term and short term. And uh, the remuneration report um, at the, this stage of recording, have we decided on uh, for or against? Yes, we had a lot of thought around um, the remuneration report and we have gone for four on that one. It's essentially the 2020 remuneration report is essentially seen as a um, an interim arrangement pending resolution of APRA's requirements 
coming through. They've got draft prudential standard. And then also Westpac would be looking at progression of their many recent personnel and role changes. So they've told us they'll be undertaking a review during 2021 of their remuneration strategy and intend placing greater emphasis on rewarding long-term rather than short-term achievement. And they'll take into account, of course, the APRA standards. In a way, the finance industry is still trying to understand what APRA's requirements might be because there's allowance for non-financial metrics. But Westpac's aware that in going to any non-financial metrics, they need to have management of risk built in. So in looking through all the arrangements on remuneration and bearing in mind they didn't get any short-term incentive payments for the year and also their long-term incentive, which was due to be tested, they haven't received anything. Uh, We think they've done a, a pretty good job and they're obviously looking to do more. So on balance, we believe we should support them in the actions already taken in what are quite significant transformation efforts and also noting the absolute determination expressed by the board chair to continue to move quickly to address the many outstanding matters they have ahead. So we're giving them the benefit of the doubt at the moment. Exactly right. Yes, <laughs> that's it, <Bill>. so, so the board, <laughs> the board. there's uh, lots of uh, changes and resolutions and some we're supporting and some we're not supporting. So let's start with the, the easy part, the re-election of John McFarlane, Michael Hawker and Christopher Lynch, which the association is voting for. Sure. Well, John, as I mentioned earlier, was previously a CEO at ANZ. He's been a chairman of Barclays. Aviva and First Group and Chairman of the City, UK. He's been a non-executive director of Westfield and the Royal Bank of Scotland um, Group. And he was also a council member of the London Stock Exchange. So he's also held roles with Citicorp and earlier with Ford Motor Company. He's a senior figure in global banking, well regarded in financial service and has over 45 years of experience in the sector and he brings considerable leadership and uh, that deep global banking experience to the board. He also has skin in the game already. He held 10,000 shares in Westpac as of early November but since then we understand he's bought another substantial amount of shares in the company and we think he's very important to the recovery at Westpac. Christopher Lynch, he was formerly a non-executive director of Rio Tinto and then an executive uh, director there. He was a global CFO of Rio Tinto, a CEO of Transurban Group and also held a range of executive roles with BHP Billiton. He was appointed a director of Westpac in uh, September 2020. He's uh, got significant experience in global mineral resources and infrastructure, as well as extensive listed company director experience. He brings deep operational and financial expertise to the board, and uh, he's a member of the board audit and board risk committee. 
He's also got a shareholding. He held over 13,000 shares as at 1 November. And he comes to this role essentially untainted by past Westpac issues. And uh, as I mentioned, he brings skills and experiences and some that are actually complementary to other board members. Michael Hawker, he was a CEO of Insurance Australia Group going back in time after previous roles at Westpac of, uh, as um, Group Executive of Business and Consumer Banking and General Manager of Financial Markets. That goes back to 1995 to 2001. Uh, and prior to that, he'd been a Deputy Managing Director of Citibank Australia and an Executive Director of Citibank International. Until recently, he was a non-executive director of Macquarie Bank and Macquarie Group Limited, president of the Insurance Council of Australia, and has had various other senior roles. And he was appointed a, a Westpac board in November 2020, so just recently, uh, and he brings substantial experience and knowledge of the financial services industry, having over 35 years of both executive and non-executive director experience in regulated entities, um, both in Australia and internationally. He's not listed as a director as at 1 November in the annual report and hence um, no shareholding is stated. But uh, we believe that, you know, whilst he has got distant past, it goes back quite a while with Westpac and he seems well qualified to add value to the board. So how about Peter Nash? Has a decision been made about the voting intentions there? Well, with Peter, at this stage we're undecided and we'd like to hear from Peter in relation to his appointment. Peter was formerly a senior partner to KPMG and a national chair there until September 2017. He's also a non-executive director of ASX Limited and Mervac and chair of John's In Group. He's worked in uh, geographically diverse and quite complex um, operating environments, providing advice on a range of topics to companies, including business strategy, risk management, internal controls, business processing and regulatory change, as well as audit experience. Now, he joined Westpac Board in March 2018, just prior to the Austrac matters becoming known. He's chair of the board audit and board legal regulatory and compliance committees and a member of the board risk and board nominations and governance committees. He held 15,260 shares in Westpac as at 1 November. The question in relation to Mr Nash is, given his stated experience in risk management, to what extent was he aware of the Austrac matters during his first term as a director and what did he do to address the problems that did become evident? In other words, why should shareholders entrust another term to him? And we'll be guided by his answers to these questions, which we'll be putting at the AGM before actually deciding on how to vote on his um, re-election. And then there's two other nominees for election, Noel Davis and Paul Whitehead, and the Australian Shareholders Association is against their election to the board. Uh, yes, Bill. With Noel Davis, he's nominated himself. He's a barrister and he has got experience specialising in areas like financial services, super, insurance and tax. 
and of course he would have advised uh, a lot of the large uh, financial services companies. He believes shareholders should have a choice as to who they vote for rather than have only candidates that are being nominated by the board and he believes he can contribute to the board as part of general oversight and dealing with risk and compliance issues expeditiously. And by scrutinising what, in his view, is excessive remuneration within banks. We believe that whilst respecting the views and commitment of Mr Davis to make um, a difference to Westpac, that he doesn't have the actual skills and experience that's offered by other candidates and therefore will vote open proxies against his election as a director of Westpac. And Paul Whitehead? Yes. Well, with Mr Paul Whitehead, he's an engineer and he's worked on many large engineering projects in Australia and the Middle East. And his focus is on contract negotiations and cost management to achieve his employer's budget and better than expected profits. He does acknowledge he's always worked as an engineer and really has no uh, deep banking employment experience. But he did state that if elected, he'd truly be independent as he's not preconditioned to financial practices and would feel essentially free to challenge modes of thinking and operations to achieve ethical shareholder value. And we respect those views and his commitment to make a difference. But again, with Mr Davis, we do not believe he has the skills and experience that uh, the other candidates have. And again, therefore, we'll be voting open proxies against his election as a director of uh, Westpac. And are there any questions that will be brought up at the AGM? There will be the questions on Peter Nash. Mm -hmm. We will be seeking confirmation of their commitment in relation to making changes in remuneration. And there's a few other questions. So, yes, we'll have questions that we'll be raising at the AGM in relation to Westpac. Okay, Carol, thank you very much for this justifiably extended episode of AGM Watch and um, for sharing all the insights for Westpac. Thanks very much for coming on. Thank you very much, Bill. Pleasure. 